Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for February 5th, 2023. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Join me as always. Welcome, Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome back to the show, Tim Shifflett. Good evening, sir. All right, Tim, good to have you back, and uh, you were missed last week, but we thank again um, Vinny from uh, filling in for you, and tonight we're excited because we're going to spend um, a nice chunk of the uh, show at about 7.20 Eastern Time talking to Taylor Vance, who is the state politics reporter for the Northeast uh, Mississippi Daily Journal um, that's that Tupelo um, Brookhaven-type area, and he's going to um, really give us a lot of insight into what's going on in their 2023 uh, statewide elections. But until then, we've got some issues to discuss, and I guess the first thing we really need to discuss is the um, political story that dominated Friday afternoon into the weekend, uh, and that was the um, balloon, and it started out as we didn't know what kind of balloon it was, and we did know it had, you know, um, some type of cameras to, to do surveillance on it by the end of the week, or I'm sorry, end of the weekend, uh, that was of Chinese origin. Um, Catherine, what's your thoughts on uh, this balloon that, you know, we spotted in Montana and ended up uh, being shot down over the um, water near Myrtle Beach, South Carolina? sounds like a from what i've read i mean i'm not a military expert but it sounds to me like the president did what what we want the president to do which is to talk to the pentagon see what their recommendation is and follow through on it and that's what he did as far as we know and uh it seems like a good resolution no one was hurt uh you know the the it's down we have it i i I don't know i a lot of brouhaha over nothing, if you ask me. Yeah, and, and I mean, there probably is more to it than, than I mean, than that as far as long term. Uh, Tim, when it originally got reported, it seems like a lot of Republicans looked at looked at it and said, "How can we score political points on Joe Biden instead of what can we do with this situation for American national security?" Yeah, pretty much. They were screaming, shoot it down, shoot it down now. Why aren't you doing something? This wouldn't have happened if Donald Trump was president, which we found out later it did happen uh, three times. Uh, and and so, you know, I'm, I, I'm not surprised at all that the Republicans uh, uh, started. And, and, you know, I, I kind of tuned that out and went to thinking about, the Chinese and, you know, what in the world were they thinking and, you know, why do this and, and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah it, was, it was no surprise to me, David, that the, 
that the Republicans got going with this. They saw a chance to score points and try to paint the president as weak and themselves as strong. And, uh, you know, that's what they did. They didn't disappoint. <laughs> and, you know, if, yeah. if it had been the other way around, if he had if he had announced that it was coming, they would have said, oh, they, he shouldn't have done that. We, What about national security? I mean, you can't win with these people. Uh, yeah, they anything will figure out done. an angle to criticize yeah, no matter right. what they do. Any, so. anything, anything he did or said, they were going to take the opposite tag yeah. and figure they could score some points off of it. I think basically, I mean, I think most rational people that uh, look at things with China know that you can't trust everything they do, but you can't just automatically uh, assume that everything that comes out of China, and I'm not talking about government stuff, but anything is automatically something um, salacious or or some type of spy something. It sounds like this could very well be. I think if a Republican politician wanted to do something where they could ask questions and actually do something pertinent, they could say, okay, what's, what can we do to know when one of these balloons starts to come over America? And when we're in our, um, you know, water space, um, you know, our, our 12 miles of off the coast sea area, when it's near Alaska, when it's near um, California, Oregon, uh, Washington State, how can we send a jet up, shoot it down before it gets over our, our mainland? Because this has happened three times in the previous, you know, six years. And then now it's happened this time. What's the way we can do something to prevent it? Because it happens under both presidents, uh, both parties. So what's something to prevent the next one? That's the kind of question somebody could ask that wants to be a serious person. Not like Marco Rubio, who apparently was told of the three previous ones um, on Jonathan Carl's show and looked like it was just absolutely new information uh, that he had never heard um, when Jonathan <laughs> Carl told him to. <laughs> so, not. I mean, there are questions I wish I seen that. Because, man, I don't, yeah, I don't think any rational person just trusts everything China does by any means. Um, so you've got to you know, figure out those preventive measures. Well, let's kind of move on to something else. There's people like Catherine, like you said at best, there are people that are military officials, and they know far more about this because they study it, and, and they've been on CNN, and they've been on MSNBC and the networks and everything else. Um, so we'll, we know you can find better information about that because we were looking more at the political side. So now um, let's move on to something else that is you know, more overtly political, and that was an article that came out in the Atlantic uh, magazine by former Bush speechwriter David Frum, um, from memory uh, recollection, the name of the article is Why is the GOP so obnoxious? Uh, The article (laughs) talks about how it appears that the driving force in GOP politics, particularly primaries when picking up candidates, is that who can own the libs, who can – you know, be in your face with their politics to where they can make the base happy by, you know, really, you know, sticking it to the Democrats. And, of course, that then creates candidates in general elections that the average swing voter doesn't really care for. 
And then a lot of just more soft Republicans that maybe agree with some Republican policies but don't like all that in-your-face nonsense get turned off by and has cost them multiple elections. Um, Tim, you read the article. Um, what was some of your thoughts on that piece? Well, yeah. Uh, the, the, the Donald Trump, you know, he. I'm thoroughly convinced that this is still Donald Trump's party. And this is Donald Trump's M.O. And people have copied that because he succeeded with it in 2016 and not since. It's it's like they keep going back to something that just isn't working anymore. From listed off the the four different elections, including our uh, runoff elections here in 2021. And, you know, because they kept going back to this, they obviously missed a chance to capture the Senate because they had a bunch of candidates, and and he mentioned Mel Manaz in particular. But uh, many of these people were promoted by Donald Trump, and they lost the Senate on account of that. They, and he mentioned some of the other things that, you know, like they only gained nine House seats when in a normal election they, you know, she gained 37. You know, they they lost two governorships. Democrats gained control of four legislative chambers. Uh, Other things I was thinking about, you know, that's going on with them. The the, the in-your-face stuff even seems to be going as far as the Supreme Court with this Mm -hmm. super conservative stacked court, and it's just killing them. and voters are turned off by this election denial nonsense that they just won't get off of, and they're getting obnoxious with it. Carrie Lake, man, I just hate to see her name in print because I know there's going to be just garbage coming behind it. Attacking Hunter Biden, that's another thing. Well, you know what? It has not worked. Why do they keep doing it? And so, you know, I I believe that the fact that the GOP is still Donald Trump's party is actually the biggest problem because as long as he is where he is, and according to the polling, he's the favorite to be their nominee again, that you're going to see a lot of copycats. And 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 a lot of people that that like what Trump does and do what Trump does, be drawn to Donald Trump, and we will continue to see this until Donald Trump leaves the scene. But it was a very good article that Trump wrote. It, it it really was. Yeah, Catherine, I think it really hits the nail on the head. What do you think of his thesis? I- I thought it was really good, and I'll give you a little anecdote that sort of plays right into it. I, I went to the doctor for a regular, you know, three-month checkup the other day, and she and I usually talk about politics in a very general way. You know, I don't really talk about politics with people that I don't usually that I'm not sure I'm going to agree with just because I don't want to waste my time. But it was really interesting. She's like a moderate. 
she we talked about abortion. She's a doctor, and and she just kept saying that she she can't stand the Republicans because they're so mean, and she feels like she can't. It sounds like she can't quite find her place in the Democratic Party. But I thought it was really interesting. I think she's probably generally a Republican, but she just can't stand them anymore because they're so mean. She said, this is not the Republican Party that I remember as a younger person, which I think is really telling. And I think from is of that earlier, you know, the, the you know, older Democrat, the older Republican Party that, you know, some of us actually long for, you know, a sensible, um, you know, not that I agreed with them, but at least they were sensible and fair and didn't, I mean, some of this, um, some of these commercials that they put out and the messages that they work and the, just the whole angle is always like from set, like from said, you know, getting the libs, you know, get, instead of governing. They just don't seem to have any interest in governing. And I think that's what my doctor was getting to, too. Like, let's just get on with the government. So I think uh, I think he's got a really good point. I don't know that Trump, you know, not running or, you know, sort of fading away in some fashion. I'm not sure that's going to fix it right away. Because I think they're now they're entrenched in this um, sort of hateful, um, mean-spirited politicking. And I'm not sure that just getting rid of Donald Trump is going to make a diff- that big of a difference. That's my fear, actually. Yeah, and you make, make an interesting point about your doctor. I have a feeling, without ever having met her, that she probably could have been a Kemp Warnock voter. Um, those folks that we spent so much of the last two or three months talking about. What do you think, Catherine? I think she was. was. And then interesting – go ahead. No, I don't have anything more to say. Oh, okay. Um, And then I'll tell you this. I think doctors are an interesting situation in the past few years anyway. I think traditionally a lot of doctors had been more Republican – um, whether it was their tax bracket or whether it was their um, uh, the, the issue with worrying about being sued and tort reform. But then now, A, doctors have come under attack as far as being able to do their profession. And then also they're highly educated folks, and we know that more highly educated voters are moving towards the Democratic Party. So I think it's that where they were and then where the trends of America are going uh, fits exclusively with doctors um, pretty well and that is a hallmark of that. But one thing I wanted to ask you all about, it wasn't necessarily in the article. I wonder how much of this style of Republican politics is driven by conservative media. And what I mean is you have Fox News and you have other – news sources that to get ratings and get to get people to watch their programming Monday through Friday, 8 o'clock till 11 o'clock, or pretty much just be the only channel people watch, um, and there are a lot of households like that, they have to create an enemy. It has to almost be like pro wrestling where you have the good guy and the bad guy, so they have to create the enemy, and so 
they set up a situation. I think I saw a picture of a Chiron that uh, um, uh, Tucker Carlson called, you know, Democrats lizard people, and it was actually on the Chiron. I don't know how that fits in its news. But they create this frame, and therefore if all of these hardcore Republican voters, the folks that are the most likely to vote in Republican primaries, see this messaging you know, hour after hour during the week, then they um, immediately um, think this is what we want in our candidates. We want candidates to echo what we see on Fox News. Catherine, any thoughts on that theory? Well, you know, Fromm does talk about that in the beginning of the article of his piece about how um, with all these, you know, in in the past we had, you know, what, I mean, when I was growing up, we had three networks and we saw the news on, you know, ABC, CBS, or NBC. Maybe if you were lucky, you had PBS. And, uh, and then, you know, local news on the radio. And uh, so... It was pretty um, – it was well-moderated. It wasn't, it wasn't red meat. It was just the news. It was Walter Cronkite telling us what was going on in the world. But now with all these different sources, they have to, you know, define themselves. And so you've got Fox News on the, on the right and MSNBC, which is much less um, – provocative than Fox but and then there's a whole bunch of other ones in between on on the internet and on the radio and other TV networks so I think as we've you know narrow they have to narrow their um, audience in order to appeal to them they have to narrow or narrow their message to appeal to those people who will keep it on all day every day for their advertisers. So, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. T- Tim, how much of this is a creation of the right-wing uh, media landscape? Well, you, you know, it. you can go back through history and you can see isolated instances with people who adopted, what do we call it, a scorched earth type. Uh, campaign, uh, you know, Joe McCarthy and Richard Nixon yeah. when he first ran for for Congress, and uh, you, you certainly have intimate knowledge of Newt Gingrich uh, doing doing the same thing, being you work in a campaign that opposed him, and uh, you know that sort of thing works for a time, and and that's why they did it. Now we have a political network that does it. Uh, I'm sorry to say it works because they are first and foremost driven by, you know, ratings, points, and profit margin. And both of those look pretty good for them. And as long as it, you know, keeps producing ratings points and makes them money, then they will keep doing it because they do have a receptive portion of the American electorate that really loves that sort of thing. 
And uh, guys like Trump, he didn't invent it, but he certainly tapped into it with that, you know, here's what's wrong, and then find a place to point your finger and say, it's their fault, blah, 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 blah. And so that works at the presidential level, at least in one campaign, as we've seen. And, uh, you know, I know MSNBC is, is, you know, they represent a certain viewpoint, too. But when you compare, say, Fox News with MSNBC, and you see just outright lying on what far, far, far worse than you would see anywhere else on Fox News. I mean, it is coming up with stuff off the wall. And some of these lesser networks like One America and Newsmax, they're they're just in an you know, an alternative reality. But a lot of people <laughs> watch this. It's their only source of news. They believe it and they like it. By golly, I'm yeah. mad well, and these people are fighting the liberals, you know. Yeah, and, and to kind of wrap that up, if, if I just recommend anybody that's listening, it's one of the best pieces of political writing um, in probably the past few months. Um, it was in The Atlantic, David from Why is the GOP So Obnoxious? I want to transition now to a political reporter that does good reporting that truly is fair and balanced up in Mississippi. Uh, welcome to the show, Taylor Vance. Uh, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Yes. Can well, you hear me? Well, Taylor, I, I want to say we've had you on the show before. It's been a little while, probably the last time Mississippi had elections, correct? Well, I, I, I actually, I think this is my first time on, on the show. Um, so yeah. I, 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 so I, 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 I hope I don't need to apologize to uh, whoever <laughs> you may be thinking of. Um, no, you're no. Getting me. Well, your broker, uh, 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 Sam Hall who always has all yeah. these great contacts like yourself, um, I, I just I, I, I just thought he had put us in touch before, so I, I stand corrected. But so let's kind of start out there. You're, you're the um, reporter um, for the uh, Northeast Mississippi Daily, which is, I guess, based in Tupelo, but sounds like it covers much more. Tell us about your biography and, and kind of what you cover day to day. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like you said, I uh, cover state government for the uh, Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal, or just commonly called the Daily Journal. And, yes, it is based in Tupelo. Um, so, really, my job is to explain how state policy uh, impacts the lives of people in Northeast Mississippi. Uh, I've been with the Daily Journal for about um, – about three, three and a half years now, I, uh, I initially covered local government in Tupelo and, and, and Lee County, but um, for, the past, uh, for the past year, I've, I've solely been covering um, state government, which is why I, uh, I, which is why I live in Jackson, uh, our state capital. Yes, and, and I guess that Tupelo area, that your paper, does it uh, cover that suburban uh, Memphis area that's growing so much as well, or is it more? No, um, no, not really. Um, that's kind of the other side. Um, you know, that, that's uh, the, the the DeSoto County area. No, we really don't. Um, 
we have at times sort of written a, a few things about uh, about that area, but no, not really. I mean, really, our bread and butter is um, uh, Tupelo, Lee County, and, and a few rural, uh, sort of rural areas um, that, that that surround that. Uh, I think we have about 13 total counties that we kind of consider our core um, co- coverage area. Um, but no, we, we we don't really cover um, that area and uh, uh, outside of Memphis. Sure, sure. Okay. Um, well, let's kind of get it. I'm, I'm going to be the one that sets the table, even though we want to have you on and talk about the elections. But sure. leading into the elections, there were two, um, I guess, big stories that made really national headlines outside of Mississippi. Yeah. And the first one was a welfare scandal where funds that were meant to go towards, you know, the betterment of people's lives that are impoverished, um, you know, children and and food stamps and everything else, uh, somehow a lot of famous athletes, including Brett Favre and the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase got involved. So this story got a lot more attention. Um, In the state – how are people reacting to that story? Well, so, so first off, I, I mean, yeah, I, I think you described it pretty well. I mean, the, the, the stories kind of write themselves. I mean, famous athletes, WWE wrestlers, in, in, or former WWE wrestlers in the, in the state of Mississippi. And, and I think that was kind of the entrance. That, that was kind of what caught a lot of people, caught a lot of people's attention outside of the state was – Brett Favre, the million-dollar man, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. But but I think, like you said, kind of going beyond that, the real story is, yes, all of this money that was meant to go toward, you know, the most vulnerable citizens in our state, the most impoverished people, people who were trying to, you know, get out of poverty, it actually, a lot of it didn't go to them at all. It just went to um, a, a lot of people who already had money and or at least that's what it appears right now um and and they use this money to really enrich themselves um even more um but i I think just across the board i mean most people when they realize what what went on i mean they're horrified about it they're shocked that this happened um uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, they think that, it, that that it's terrible. That that again, this money that was supposed to you know be used to to help people to get them out of poverty, that it really wasn't used for that. And so, yes, a lot of people are horrified that that happened. Um, but I would say, I guess politically, maybe um, there really hasn't been um, much of much of anything that that has really happened. Um, you know, we have the legislative session that's going on right now um, in, in Mississippi, and I, I think one of the main critiques that that the public has of the legislature right now is there has not been one official, really, hearing to scrutinize this to find out what went wrong, what could have, you know, how this could have been prevented. Um, the the Democratic caucus, I will say, has held some hearings on this. Um, but as far as an actual sort of bona fide committee, for lack of a better term, um, there's not been any type uh, of hearing to scrutinize this. And, and I think the attitude by elected officials has more or less been, 
just kind of let everything work its way through the court system um, for now. So that that that's I, I, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's sort of what's going on right now. Yes, it sounds like sadly it got more scrutiny on last week's game theory with Bomani Jones um, than it has in the <laughs> legislature, and that actually is real funny. I'd already booked you to be on the show, and then. I noticed uh, Bomani Jones actually looked at this and talked about the absurdity of Brett Favre and Ted DiBiase and, I guess, Marcus Dupree getting involved. So I know some of the, fa- the famously some of the funds went to build a volleyball arena for southern Mississippi. Um, but yeah. in the best-case scenario, what were Brett Favre and Ted DiBiase and others supposed to get – you know, legally or, or ethically from these funds that would have even justified them getting any funds? Like, what was the original intent? Yeah, I mean, I think the intent was if this built, you know, when this building was constructed, that it could be used for different um, seminars and, and programs such as, like, financial management, you know, maybe a resume program things like that where it would be used sort of as a meeting space and, you know, for quote-unquote economic development and things like that. I think that may have been sort of their official reason, you know, on paper of what – of how they could justify these funds uh, going towards the construction of a new volleyball uh, arena. Although, I mean, I think it's pretty clear by the federal regs you can't really use TANF money to go towards, you know, new brick-and-mortar buildings. Um, but, yes, I think best case, that was probably what they were, they were wanting, that, they were, that, that was going to be their reason to justify uh, these funds going toward a volleyball arena. Yes. And then the other um, situation that came up was um, – Jackson's water supply just a few months ago just really um, became completely contaminated. They had to uh, send them, you know, truckloads of bottled water to parts of the city. You said you lived in Jackson, so you may even have to experience some of this. Sure. Um, You can tell us about what happened and what's happening since then, but politically then tie in um, how this is going to impact politics. Sure. So – yeah, like you said, I'm kind of in a weird or you know or unique situation because I live in the city of Jackson. I care about the city of Jackson. It's my capital city, but really I don't really report on the city of Jackson, and I don't even really report on a whole lot of Jackson-specific legislation that comes out of the legislature just because – you know, like I said earlier, I, I'm, you know, more focused on what's happening either just statewide or in northeast Mississippi. Um, but uh, so, so I'm not as well versed uh, in this as, as some other things. My, uh, a lot of my other colleagues uh, have done a great job covering the, uh, the water crisis. Um, but, but as best that I know, you know, essentially a, a water treatment plant here um, sort of over uh, or, or – uh, a few, uh, several months ago, just shut down or it wasn't working. We had a huge influx of rain, and the system just kind of collapsed. And so uh, we were uh, – there were a lot of uh, 
a lot of residents were without water for a long period of time, um, or even if they had water, um, there wasn't a lot of water pressure or the water wasn't clean uh, because, again, we didn't have a water treatment plant. And then the plan from the state was, you know, well, let's try and get water pressure back up. That way we have, you know, enough water to fight fires, you know, enough water for emergencies, things of that nature. And then they kind of uh, got it back uh, or got the, they, uh, they tried to uh, make the water clean enough to drink again. Um, and, uh, and, and that, that has happened. Um, but now the big question is, is well, what are we going to do to make sure that this doesn't happen again and to make sure that, you know, Mississippi doesn't get back into national headlines because of our water situation. Because if, you know, the first thing that people think about when they think of, uh, you know, Mississippi or Jackson, Mississippi is water, then it's going to be hard to, you know, retain population, attract new talent, and to get, you know, businesses and jobs to invest here, which is not good for, you know, the long-term future of the state, um, you know, much less the, the, the capital city. So, um, and again, with the caveat here, this is not really my focus area. There, there has been some legislation um, this year to try and address some of that, but I, the, the Jackson and the Hines County delegation has not really been receptive to some of this legislation. Um, and, 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 and I may be sort of getting down into the weeds here, but, but, but what has happened now is we have, there is a uh, sort of a third party administrator that has been appointed by the Department of Justice to try and get Jackson's water up to par, um, more or less. And one of the things that this uh, administrator proposed or was talking about was basing, at least, you know, for the interim, basing water bills off of property taxes or, 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 or yeah, instead of actual consumption to make it a little more equitable in the short term so we can have more cash flowing um, and, and, and to have a little bit of operating money. Well, one chamber of the legislature in, has introduced um, a bill that would prohibit that type of practice um, <laughs> in, in the state and um, on, now only allow um, uh, a utility company to uh, charge based off of actual consumption. And that's just sort of one example of, I think, now politically where you're going to see some push and pull between um, the Republican lawmakers and the Jackson um, lawmakers and the Jackson delegation, who are mostly Democrats, um, and between state government and, and local government and state government and federal government. So to, to sum it all up, it's kind of one big mess right now while um, uh, you have a little bit of a power struggle figuring out kind of the best, best course forward here. Yes, well, I just remember from the Flint River or, or the Flint, uh, Michigan water crisis that that came back yep. on the governor at the time, um, Rick Snyder. Um, and of yep. course, this is a different water system with it, you know, different things could unfold differently, but I do know that it did impact yep. politics at the state level, even though it was a local sure. water system. Sure. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm going to pass it. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and, and this may transition into our discussion about statewide politics, but I think there's a chance that 
Um, that very well may happen in our uh, in our um, uh, uh, upcoming governor's race, um, but, but but we will see. Yes. Well, that, that's a good segue. I'm going to pass it over to Tim Shifflett, who has questions about the governor's race, among other things. And yep. then Catherine Smith has got some more questions about the legislature, so I'm going to pass it to Tim and then Catherine. Okay. Good deal. Uh, good evening, Mr. Vance, and thank you for being yep. with us tonight. Now, of course. Glad to be here. Um, neither Governor Tate Reeves, who has a history mm-hmm. of tough primary fights, are right. his assumed opponent, uh, PSC member uh, Brandon Presley, have really mm-hmm. drawn any meaningful opposition in their party primary? primary. So are, are they both such overwhelming favorites that they scared off major challengers, or, or what? what's going on there? Well, I would say... Well, we, we can take, we can take um, the current governor, Governor Tate Reese, first. Um, mm-hmm. I would say the, the, the short answer to that question for him is probably, probably yes. I mean, you look at the most recent campaign finance reports. I mean, governor has about at least, uh, I believe, seven point five million dollars in his campaign fund, which is pretty significant in Mississippi. Um, mm-hmm. No other statewide official has come close to that. I think the person who came in who who and who has the most the second most amount of money is the lieutenant governor and he has a little over three million dollars um, so that just maybe goes to show you uh, just, just the gap there of how much money that that actually is um, there were there were two people who floated the idea of uh, challenging the governor in the Republican primary the first one was the Secretary of State Michael Watson um, mm-hmm. that uh, he floated that, and, and he is, I would say, more of a firebrand, um, far-right conservative, and I think he had floated the idea of challenging him from the right. But um, and, and, and because one of the, the governor's, I, I would say, firewalls um, is the Gulf Coast. Um, that's kind of his bread and butter is, 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 uh, for, for Republican uh, voters is the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and Michael Watson is also from the Gulf Coast. He's... Uh, from Jackson County, and so I think his plan was to try and eat away uh, at, at that base. But nonetheless, um, he uh, decided to just run for re-election as Secretary of State. And the other person who had um, floated the possibility of uh, challenging the governor in the Republican primary is Bill Waller. He's the former Chief Justice of the State Supreme Court, and he ran for governor uh, in uh, 2019 during the last election cycle, and he um, did not win the uh, Republican nomination, but he did force the governor into a runoff election. Um, and he uh, uh, had sort of complained about some of, uh, some of the, uh, the governor's policies to, to a few um, news outlets and, ha- and it had criticized sort of the governor's role in the welfare scandal. Um, and so um, uh, I think there was a lot of interest in, in seeing what he would do, but, but ultimately challenged. Um, uh, the governor and, and just kind of stay out of this race. Um, because I think it, it, no matter who would have challenged the governor, I mean, it would have been, it would have been a hard fight. It would have been an uphill battle. It's always an uphill battle to try and unseat um, an incumbent, um, and they would have had to have raised a lot of money. Now, um, uh, in the Democratic um, primary with 
Brandon Presley, I, uh, who I think is, is pretty much the odds-on favorite. Um, he, he's really the only elected official in the primary right now. I, I mean, I think it's two things with him. One, yes, Commissioner Presley is, I think, pretty popular among Democratic voters. But the other thing, and, and I, I do not mean this in any not, – not towards, towards Brandon Presley, just – I mean, the Democratic Party is just so weak in this state. And I think mm-hmm. – I mean, for the past you know, three years, people – had just looked to, or especially the Democratic voters had just looked to Brandon to, to, to run for governor. That, I mean, if Brandon had decided not to, to, to run for governor and seek the Democratic nomination, I mean, I don't really know, you know, who the backup would have been. And so I think mm-hmm. it's, yes, I mean, Brandon Presley is, is, is popular among Democratic voters, but it's also just, you, know, you just have a weak Democratic Party and a lack of party infrastructure in the state. And so I don't mm-hmm. think there's going to be many people complaining or challenging uh, Brandon Presley for that nomination. So. Oh, oh, okay. Well, um, you, you, you talked about the difficulties that Democrats are having in that state. Now, I do realize yep. that Republicans control all constitutional offices in yep. the state, like they, like they do mm-hmm. here in Georgia right now. Sure. Uh and I read a, a Pew Research report that said that around 90% of white voters in Mississippi are mm-hmm. s- straight-line Republican voters. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, are we looking at a situation for, how should I put this, we don't have a red and a blue party, but essentially a black and a white electorate opposing I mean, I, each I, other? I would, I would, I mean, I would say that's that's probably pr- pretty accurate. Um, uh huh. You know, because Mississippi does not have just a huge metro area as you do, I, I would say, in in, in Georgia. Um, uh-huh. You know, Jackson is the capital city, and it is um, a, a, our largest city right now. And there are you know suburbs surrounding it, but it's not just huge and robust compared to Georgia. And I think that's where a lot of uh, Democratic uh, candidates have, have made inroads recently. It's in the suburban population. And we do have that, but it's just not massive. And so that mm-hmm. combined with just how inelastic voters are in Mississippi, uh, I, I mean, yeah, I, I think that's not far off. I mean, race is a huge deciding factor in what political party you're going to belong to. It's not the only factor. And of course there are exceptions to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you're right. Yes. I mean, okay. um, I, I, there, there are not many um, white Democrats left um, in the legislature. And I think Brandon Presley is the only um, really white Democrat who is, um, elected um, either to a statewide or regional office um, All in right. Mississippi. Well, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Catherine for some more questions. Catherine? Okay. Hey, thanks so much for being on the show tonight. <clears throat> we sure. really appreciate people who sure. set aside some time on a Sunday evening to talk with us. Very sure. generous. Glad to do it. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about what issues are um, going to be mm-hmm. activating voters now that Mississippi has yep. successfully 
banned abortion, which has always been mm-hmm. a, you know, hot button issue for uh, the social conservatives. What are mm-hmm. the what are they going to use now? <laughs> well, um, I, I think what you're going to see among conservatives um, is, or at least among among Tate Reeves this, this next election cycle. Uh, I, I mean, I think he's going to try and portray um, the uh, Democratic candidate just to the National Party, and so. I, Maybe now, I mean, to answer your question, I think, you know, what, what does that look like? Um, you know, we've seen the legislature um, already in the early stages of the session has introduced legislation that would ban um, gender-affirming care for transgender minors or for trans youth. Um, you know, uh, I, and I think that's probably going to be the, their next focus is um, transgender issues, um, LGBT youth. Um, there's a bill right now that would um, sort of place some restrictions on uh, books and public libraries. Um, so I think that um, it, it, it may be sort of the, the, net, the two big social issues now um, from the Republican Party. Um, but um, also, I think taxation, lower taxes. Um, you know, there's a, a huge push right now to eliminate the state income tax or either, you know, reduce the tax rate on the income tax. Um, and uh, I, and maybe uh, I, I think from the Democratic Party, I think the huge issue right now is going to be health care, particularly rural health care. Um, That's what I was going to say. Health all- cut, oh, go ahead. Why would you cut taxes when you can't even provide – I mean, they're, they're – uh, yeah, they can't yeah. provide any health care. I mean, their health care yeah, budget has so, been slashed sure. like – like every year. Um, yeah, and that's that's a, a huge concern that um, a lot of moderate Republicans um, and Democrats um, have expressed is why why are we cutting taxes at a time when you know our our capital city, as we just discussed, made national headlines because it couldn't provide clean drinking water to its citizens for months. Um, we have two state agencies who are dealing with federal lawsuits. Um, we're the poorest state in the union. Um, you know, our, our rural hospitals are on the brink of collapse. So yes, I mean that 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 that's that is what I think. Uh, like I said, Democrats are going to hammer um, the Republicans on, and their answer is, you know, well we can still work on that while putting more money back into um, uh, into taxpayers' pockets. Um, you know, I, there are a lot of people who have concerns about that. The state income tax uh, accounts for about a third of the, the total state budget. Um, you know, they, they did not um, pass they, – they did not fully eliminate it last year, but they uh, took a big step towards reducing the tax rates. Um, uh, in about uh, – in several years, we will essentially have just a flat 4% um, tax bracket um, on the income tax. And the Republicans' argument is, um, you know, we have budget surpluses right now um, in, in, in our, you know, in, in, in the state treasury, and they just think that it's time to return money um, back to the taxpayers. And they believe that if they remove um, those tax brackets, then it will um, lead to more job growth. Um, so that's those are kind of the, the, the two sides of uh, of the argument there. 
It's um, just interesting to but, me that they have tax, they have um, money left over, but they still have, you know, these water problems. Like maybe they should have spent some of that money on the water problems, <laughs> but you know, that's too simple. Well, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I we, mean had, we had water you problems. Know, you, we had water problems in Atlanta. Uh, we had sewer problems in Atlanta. Yeah. And um, uh, our mayor at the time, Shirley Franklin, um, was famous in Washington uh, when she went to Washington to get federal money for our sewers. They called yeah. her the sewer mayor. She would, like, walk down the <laughs> hall, and, and and they would go, oh, there's the sewer mayor. I don't know if you know Shirley Franklin. She's about five feet tall. and uh, <laughs> But she said, that's fine with me. I'm glad to be known as the sewer mayor. And she fixed it. But it cost billions of dollars. Billions. Yeah, it's very expensive to fix those. um, Because I don't know about Jackson, but in in Atlanta, it was like a old, old, old sewer system that hadn't been updated Mm -hmm. because nobody wanted to pay for it. Nobody wanted it on their on their um, on their job. You know, they didn't want it on their watch. They wanted someone else to do it. So uh, right, right, And, and I think. You may have some of that in, 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 in Mississippi. You kind of have, you know, as I was talking about earlier, just some competing groups kind of wanting to push the buck. Um, and, and I think yeah. there are, you know, some voters who are just a little tired of this and, and they just want someone to kind of step up to the plate and say, look, this is our capital city. You know, we're not going to grow as a state until we have clean drinking water um, in our state. Um, and or in our capital city, um, and we need to just kind of get together, work work on some of this, and some of those discussions have taken place. But but I think right now there's just there's kind of a push and pull and and, and butting well, heads between. Season. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> um, yeah, and so you have you have I, I think um, local Jackson officials and the legislature. Um, kind of butting heads right now, um, but you know we we did recently get uh, I believe it was six hundred million dollars from the federal government um, to to to, um, to help Jackson, um, and that combined with some of the infrastructure money, I, the, the the justification from the Republican Party or, or, or you know the, the Republican officials has been you know let's wait, let you know let's let some of this, this, the federal money gets spent and see what happens there before we just kind of turn a lot of state funds um, loose. Um, but, 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 yes, I mean, to your point, that is, that is a common critique, um, uh, uh, you know, with the, the tax cuts and the budget surpluses is, you know, critics will point out that, that, that there are a lot of ways you could spend this money, um, you know, to, to improve our state, um, Instead of just sitting on it and cutting taxes, um, right? Essentially. Well, that's really interesting. Any other um, any other things happening in the legislature that are interesting that we that our listeners might yeah. like to hear about? Yeah, you know, I, I'm not sure if there is a ballot initiative process in Georgia, um, but um, we did have one in Mississippi, and you know, I. I, I most of your voters probably aren't voters. Excuse me. Most of your listeners probably know what what, what that is. But a, a ballot initiative process is essentially a way for for petitioners or voters to circumvent the, the legislature and state officials and put 
uh, a specific item on a ballot for consideration, um, something like early voting or Medicaid expansion, for example. Um, but um, so in, in uh, 2019, there, there was uh, a medical marijuana initiative that um, got on the statewide ballot and voters overwhelmingly uh, approved of it. I believe it was around 75% of, of voters um, voted in favor of uh, the medical marijuana initiative. Well, the, the interesting thing about it is um, the requirements for the ballot initiative at the time required petitioners to gather signatures or an equal number of signatures from states old five congressional districts. Well, the problem with that is, is Mississippi no longer has five congressional districts. It only has four. Um, but the law or the Constitution and the law was never updated to reflect that. So essentially someone uh, or the mayor of Madison, Mississippi, which uh, is a suburb of Jackson, um, was really opposed to the medical marijuana and she filed suit. She challenged the initiative process because of um, the discrepancy with the um, congressional <laughs> districts. And the Supreme Court went all the way up to the state Supreme Court. They agreed with the mayor. They struck the initiative process down, and since, 20, since, since, that, since that ruling in, I believe it was 2020, we have not had an initiative process since. And there have been two – last session, they, they tried to, to, to bring the process back, or, or to, but it, 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 negotiation stalled between the House and the Senate, and they're trying uh, again this year. Um, but the only vehicle sort of alive legislatively – um, the process spelled out in that um, legislation is significantly more cumbersome and burdensome than the last um, uh, initiative process. So it's a lot of concern with that, and uh, I think that will probably be one of the, the biggest issues uh, of the session is what happens to the uh, initiative process. That's really interesting that, yeah, that yes, that's the, because, that that's you know, the thing our, that our, pushed it over the edge. Yes, was just one lawsuit over uh, someone who just didn't like medical marijuana and did not want medical marijuana um, facilities really um, in, in in their municipality. Um, well, that's really interesting. But, you know, Thank you for sharing that because because those sure, ballot initiatives sure. are really interesting and uh, yes. one you know way that citizens can sort of get their word in. Yes. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very yeah. much. I'm going to pass it back to David for any other questions he might have. Thanks so much. Okay. Sure. Thank you. Yes. Well, well, Taylor, I probably, as I listen to, you know, you give all these incredible answers to Tim and Catherine, I thought of like five more questions I want to ask you. But, of course, <laughs> our show's <laughs> on so long, and we want to get you some time to prepare. So I'm not going to ask those, but maybe in the future we can get you back on sure. as these uh, sure. statewide races that. evolve, and I can ask some of those questions about Mississippi that um, your answer started to bring up. But um, just for our listeners right now, you've told them you write mm-hmm. for the Daily Journal. If they want to yes. read you in the Daily Journal or they want to follow you on social media, uh, give us the ways they can do that. Sure. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Taylor Vance DJ, um, and the uh, Daily Journal's website is uh, djournal.com. Simple enough. 
Um, I would uh, I would love it if if you would visit our site sometime. Um, you could consider a, 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 an online subscription. Very cheap, very affordable. Uh, we would appreciate that. Um, uh, even if maybe you know you are uh, just wondering, you know, why should I subs- uh, you know uh, subscribe to an out-of-state um, publication? Um, I, I would just hope that you just support independent journalism or local journalism somewhere, um, whether that be in your own you know your own community um, or elsewhere. But we would um, we would love the we would love the support. Yes, absolutely. Well, Taylor, thanks so much for coming on and keep doing a great job covering Mississippi politics since this is the year uh, for Mississippi elections in 2023. Sure, sure. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much. uh, uh, Hope hope to visit again. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Bye. Taylor Vance, The Daily Journal. Obviously, if you want to follow Mississippi um, news, then that is a great source, and we will echo Taylor's thought of just subscribing to um, local journalism because if you don't describe, uh, subscribe to print and, in many ways, Internet journalism, you're probably stuck with the cable news we just talked about earlier in the show. We know <laughs> where that will get you a lot of times. Um, but let's kind of ask, talk about one more topic just before we go. We don't have a lot of time for this, and that is how the Republicans, since they've taken the majority – uh, they have now t- uh, gone after three different, um, three different uh, congressional representatives and taken them off committees. Uh, Eric Swalwell um, and Adam Schiff um, off of commit the intelligence committees is retribution for them investigating Donald Trump. Um, like they were the only people to do that. That seems like uh, many people in America throughout all kind of public offices have done that. And then this week, they took off Representative Ilhan Omar off of the Foreign Relations Committee. Um, Tim, um, your thoughts on this very vindictive practice now that they have um, contributed to? Well, uh, you know, McCarthy said last year during the campaign that if the GOP uh, took control of the House, he was going to do that very thing. And he did it. Um, now, Minority Leader Jeffries has said that the GOP was after political revenge, and I think there's something to that. McCarthy was angry that Democrats stripped Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar of seats on committees. Of course, perhaps those two shouldn't have mentioned, you know, online things about killing other members of Congress yeah. and that sort of thing, maybe maybe that wouldn't have happened to them. Um, you, you know what I was thinking about this, though, at this particular instance, I consider hypocritical um, with McCarthy for one reason, and that's because House Republicans will not do one thing about George Santos. If anyone needed to be punished severely and just thrown right out of the U.S. House is that guy. And and, and until they do that, no, there's no tit for tat here. What do you think, Catherine? I agree. That guy needs to go back to wherever he's from and hide in the closet. 
Yeah. It's ridiculous. And that they're not doing anything about it is just also Mm -hmm. preposterous. Right. But they did give Marjorie Taylor Greene a spot on a committee. (laughs) Yeah, right. Guys, Guys, let's be fair. Hadn't George Santos suffered enough? He lost both knees to his great volleyball career where they won championships. <laughs> Both of his parents died 9-11. His grandparents right. suffered through the Holocaust. And right. he's not, and Catherine, he's not in the closet. He, he's uh, one of the greatest drag queens in Brazil's history, apparently. <laughs> so um, th- well, there's so much there to, to be, in the, be a drag queen. <laughs> David, I would oh, only answer but... that this way. We're not even sure this man's real name is George Santos. That's how yeah, many lies he's told. He opens I, I mean, his he's mouth of uh, the show of um, <laughs> Hannah Montana uh, under that other uh, <laughs> name. That, that guy did all kind of things, apparently. What a mess. But, uh, yeah, and obviously they won't resolve that because the majority of for the Republicans is so slim that if Santos right. is a reliable um, – Vote for Kevin McCarthy. He's staying. Well, once again, thanks to Taylor Vance for coming on the show. And I have about two or three more guests booked in the future, but I can't get the guest uh, for the Super Bowl show, which won't be during the Super Bowl. It'll be prior to the Super Bowl, so I can't announce this coming week's guest. But you'll have Tim Catherine and I. Um, and, you know, talking about the politics of the week. So until then, spin the cozy vine. Good night, night y'all. guys. Night, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong and united...